WLIWFM In Conversation, our special program that brings you dynamic voices from across our region and beyond. Welcome to WLIWFM In Conversation. I'm your host, Michael Mackey, and joining me is the WNET Group President and CEO, Neil Shapiro. Neil is an award-winning producer and media executive with a 30-year career spanning print, broadcast, cable, and online media. He's won many awards, but today we're talking about something even more important than journalism and broadcasting. We're talking about baseball. Neil, welcome, and thank you very much for speaking with us about our national pastime. What's your first baseball memory? My first baseball memory um, was I, was, I, lived, I grew up in Albany. And my mother took me down to see a Yankee game. The first, and I, I think uh, Doc Medich was pitching. Back then, baseball was only on television in Albany, but maybe once, once every Friday, I think we had a game, and the Yankees weren't that good, so they were never on Game of the Week. So I never had seen Yankee Stadium until I first walked in there. You know, nothing can prepare you from what you see on TV to actually seeing the real thing. Uh, and I still remember seeing it, how, how just big it felt. It's a Wizard of Oz experience, going from black and white to color. Indeed. And, and also, TV doesn't capture the size and scope of things as well as just, you know, seeing that huge field. In your early memory, the Yankees were losers from what you would experience. I started to really pay attention to baseball around, the, you know, 1968, 1969. So while the Mets, the Mets had that incredible run, I, th- I was interested in the Yankees. Why the Yankees? I think because, uh, first, I, I loved their history. You know, I knew enough just about the, the Garrick and Ruth and, and Mantle, and I remember seeing a little bit of Mantle highlights when I was a kid. And the more I got into it, I, I so was enthralled with their history and, and their years of excellence that I was willing to say, you know what, I'm going to, I think they'll be back again, and I'm not going to be a Fairweather fan. So there's something about liking someone, falling in love with a team when they're at the bottom, um, knowing there's a great history in the past and hoping they'll see another great run. Now, it'll be 100 years ago next season that the Yankees won their first World Series. What were some of the old historical moments that caught the attention of 10-year-old Neil Shapiro? There's so many things that make the Yankees so great. The 27 Yankees were incredible. I think even today there was no one like Babe Ruth. I mean, he was, maybe Otani gives a flavor of what that was like. But the first year Ruth hit like 60 home runs, it was more than every other, every other team in the American League combined. The fact that he was just so much better just a different level than anybody else, you know, and, and you rarely see that in sports. The, the record that Lou Gehrig had was amazing. Joe DiMaggio's record. When I found out about those things, th- those amazed me. I admired how much the, the, the consistency they had. And maybe this was an early look into what I thought about being executive. But the fact that they always managed to maintain teams, turn them over, even during the war when all their players were gone, they won with a kind of ragtag group of things. Spoke, I thought, to excellence at the executive level. And I thought their managers always were smart in different ways. Some were great motivators. Some, like Casey, were great tacticians. But I admired that, saying, you know what, excellence counts. And the Yankees embodied excellence throughout the better part of the 20th century. But there were lean times as you became a teenager. Do you remember your thoughts as uh, Billy Martin took over the Yankees and that whole Thurman Munson, Ron Guidry era there? I remember all I was going to go back for something, but I really remember growing up, and this was also uh, where the Yankees are not that good. Ralph Houck, would, they would tour uh, before the season started. They would go to all the cities in New York State. They would stop in Albany. They would have a press conference. And, you know, and he did a great job of making you believe every year they were going to be great. You know, I really thought, you know, Jerry Kenny was going to be the next Brooks Robinson. 
I thought that um, Horace Clark and G. Michael were the best best uh, shortstop second baseman combination ever. Um, you know, and every year he was he thought guys were going to be great, and and he also had made you believe that they would get these veterans like uh, Johnny Callison um, and Matty Alou. They were going to come back and be better than they ever were. Uh, but when when Billy Martin came in, you could feel you could change. First, you could feel the sense that they were getting better players. There was something great about watching Munson, who was a seeing him come up as a rookie, and then it was hard to find anybody who gave so much of himself to the game. He never felt didn't leave anything on the field. And well, I'm not sure Billy was the type of guy you would want to know personally. You had to admire the fire, the desire to win, uh, the way he was able to motivate players. But even then, back to the spirit of how great the Yankees were, to go from Billy Martin to Bob Lemon and to keep winning, I mean, I think that that 78 year was such an amazing, uh, amazing year to have all those things happen. That there's something about the Yankee ethos, about their glory, that no matter what, they find a way to win. That 1977-78 Yankee championship era, those two championships, each one unique in their own way and, and really fascinating and a lot of fun to observe. Of course, the Yankees start their return to championship status with the purchase of the team by George Steinbrenner, the managing general partner of the group, who his partners said you never felt more limited than being a partner of George Steinbrenner. <laughs> And uh, George Steinbrenner then was very successful in reworking the team, and he was responsible for hiring Billy Martin. Billy Martin was a terrific manager in the short term. He could really ignite his players and make them raise their level of performance. Billy Martin right now might help the New York Yankees. I wouldn't want him for more than about six weeks, but he's uh, in, the, in the short term, he had a motivating way about him. And even as a player, he was like that. Who were your favorite players of your youth? Did you like Bobby Mercer? Bobby Mercer was my favorite player. And we kept expecting him to become the next Mickey Mantle. And, of course, he was a good player. He was also he was, he was underrated, I think, really. you know, he, I mean, I felt his career suffered when he went, got traded to Shea Stadium. And I think that took away from his power. But he's also funny. I mean, I, and you saw that when he was the Yankee announcer. But um, I remember when he got traded to the Giants. And that was the time that Patty Hearst was missing. And he said, I think she's hiding in the right field stands because there's nobody there. Yeah. <laughs> I love him. I love Ron Guidry. Uh, so many because it was funny, but, you know, Ron Guidry was a slight guy, and yet he was so good. And also, what a great story about a guy who was kind of not going to make it, found his one pitch. It's great. Although, like Rivera, right? found that one pitch, was able to do it over and over again and achieved tremendous success. Say, Ron Guidry was a terrific all-around athlete that sometimes he'd go out and take batting practice and uh, jerk the ball into the upper deck in right field. He could run fast. He was a terrific fielder. Yep. And in 1977 and 78, he really was a sensational pitcher. What did you think when the Yankees lost in four straight to the Cincinnati Reds in the 1976 World Series? Did it occur to you that maybe that free agent Reggie Jackson might help lift the team to the next level? I was uncertain about Reggie because I thought he had tremendous talent. But even before he joined the team, I was worried that there was a camaraderie on the team and would he wreck the balance on the team. And though he did bring some of that to the team, I think I underestimated what a tremendous talent he was. And maybe there's something about being on the New York stage that either raises people's games or it gives it that extra added platform. But he had an incredible career. But that World Series performance, right, it was just unbelievable. You know, in the same way that I think Derek Jeter became my favorite Yankee. Right? And we could talk, we could spend 25 minutes talking about what made Derek Jeter so great. But there was something about the ability to raise your game in, in New York where there's no other place like New York. I remember one time I was talking to... Um, Rob Thompson, who was the third base coach, and now he coaches the Phillies, but he was the third base coach for a long time. And I got to talk to him once, and I said, 
Is there really a difference about playing in New York? I mean, all stadiums are big. There's lots of crowds. Is 40,000 in, you know, in St. Louis different than 40,000 in New York? He goes, no, there's a big difference. New York is different. The fans are smarter. When you're good, they let you know. When you're bad, they let you know. The media is insatiable, and there are so many of them. And there really are players who can't perform in New York. You know, I, I mean, there may be a player now in the Dodgers who's been much better in the Dodgers than he did on the Yankees. Right? I think there is something to that. And the flip side of that is you take players who can rise to the challenge, as Reggie did, as Jeter did his entire career, and say there's something special about the athlete and the team. The uh, New York Yankees of Derek Jeter's era, Mariano Rivera's era. What are your overall thoughts regarding that? And did you get to see him play very often? Because by that time, you were a working man. I got to see him play a lot. That, I think that was in a special time. That Yankee team was great, not just because they were talented, but they were great guys. I mean, there was, some, there was a chemistry about them, and I think they understood the game. I think they played it the right way. You know, I think they were very good about letting their accomplishments speak for themselves, right? They didn't have to talk a big game. They just won. And I thought that was that was terrific. Jeter's such an amazing guy, not just as a player, but who he is and how he carried himself. You know, to a lot of which he says he credits to Mattingly. You know, there's that tradition of, of being a Yankee and what it means that you represent not just yourself, but the city and what, and what you mean to all these young players and the young fans who look up to you. Um, and I love baseball players who take that seriously. I always said if I ever had the talent to play baseball, I would be one of those guys who would, I would sign autographs. I would, I would do anything. Derek Jeter is the captain that's uh, being shown now is really riveting uh, to observe and and have fun watching, especially since we experienced it from the outside in and watching him play in the the, the great games and how remarkable it was that in these uh, many big moments, he did come through right up to the very end. I get the impression nowadays that Aaron Judge gets it, that he understands that for all the talk about him hitting 61 home runs or 73 home runs. It's really about doing everything within his power to contribute to and lead the Yankees to the World Series and hopefully a victory. I'm not so sure everybody else on the team gets it nowadays, but Aaron Judge seems to. How do you create character and that culture of us all sharing a singular mission? You know, I think it's why leadership in any field is so important, and people can lead in different ways. Jeter was a great leader, and he wasn't necessarily a vocal leader. But by the way he conducted himself, by the way he went about it, he set a tone. And you, other players talk about coming to New York and playing with uh, Jeter and what a great teammate he was. Uh, and as we talked about in the series, he talks about how he, how, how he did that. It's, he would modify his behavior sometimes depending on the, on the other characters in the clubhouse. But it was always about setting a tone. And I think you're exactly right. Aaron Judge has that too. The other day when he hit 51 home runs and they said to him, how's it feels? He said, we lost. And it doesn't, doesn't make a difference. Even when they do win... He is aggressively humble. He always credits everybody else in the lineup. Winning is all that counts. That's what Jeter brings to. And I think it's important to have people like that. I think organizations try to find people like that. Boy, it's hard, it's hard to, to find people who are like that way. But I think the important thing is to set that tone. I hope that Judge stays a Yankee for life. Uh, I think he's, he's just the right guy to do it. And I hope they work that out at the end of the season. Well, I'd be pleased if he would sustain his approach, and and play to a superstar superlative level that he is right now, right through to the end. It's really challenging because there's so many people getting into his head telling him the most important thing is to hit 62 home runs. And he seems to understand, put that aside, just do everything within your power to uh, swing at good pitches. Don't swing at the bad pitches. The other night he had two bases on balls and, and that was okay. 
they can't win a championship without everybody to some degree contributing, and he needs to be the key contributor. But I'm not sure that the culture exists right now that allows that to happen. And I realize it's really challenging because everybody, even the young players, make a lot of money whether they win or lose. Back in the day, if uh, Whitey Ford and his New York Yankees didn't win the World Series, they couldn't buy a new house. So, so don't mess with my, with my World Series money, kid. That's and right. Then he starts showing up on time. And that was a very important part of it. I just see too much loafing in the, in the game today. And I see it. It's one thing for an older player who's afraid of, of pulling a hamstring to not run out of ball. It's hit the center field and, and about to go over the fence. But if you're 23 years old and young enough to be off at the crack of the bat, why don't you do that? And I saw that the other day with the Cabrera, and he's just styling and celebrating and, and flipping his bat. And Trout makes a real nice catch in deep center field. But what if the ball had gone off the fence? Yeah. He might have he would have been struggling to make it to second when he could have been on third. Who goes and speaks to him and says, look, this is the game's a lot of fun. We have no problem yeah. with you celebrating, but don't do so if it compromises competitive integrity. We want you to do everything within your power at the moment to contribute to uh, winning the game and going on to win the whole thing. I'm not sure how that works nowadays with the Yankees, and I recognize everywhere in life it's a challenge to get the people that work for you and with you to attain their full potential. Yeah. I need to make a couple of points in there. First, I think Cabrera's got a promising future, so I'm, I'm hoping he's, 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 he's off to a good start. I think there are a couple issues we raise. One is um, in a world where there's so much media, and so players grow up seeing other players styling a lot. That's not necessarily good. The other thing that the Jeter doc made clear is that there's a lot of conversations in the clubhouse that, that nobody knows about, right, that he was very proud of. He was very upset when anything get, uh, came in public. And so they're all, I said, you can say anything you want to me, and I'll say anything I want to teammates in the privacy of the clubhouse. So I'm hoping that in that moment you described that Aaron Judge or somebody took him aside and said, look, we get it how excited you were, and maybe you thought, and I thought maybe that he won the game. That said, right, until you know, you got to run the ball out. And the, the third thing, which is, I think, just so important is how baseball itself has changed. From the, the days when we started to watch it, right, the game has changed. Part of it's economics, right? Part of it is everybody wants home runs, right? So the notion of, like, grinding things out are harder and harder. And you even see it now in the, in the 10th inning, right, that when the guy starts at second base, I thought every team would automatically bunt them over, hit a sack fly, and they'd score a run. Right? It's amazing, you got 10, 11, 12 innings, that doesn't happen. And I get maybe, okay, maybe the, the, in the top of the inning, you don't want to do that because you want to get more than one run. But in the bottom of the inning, when you just need one, how rarely they're able to do that. I think that's just a change in the game. They've got pure sluggers. Everybody's learning how to uppercut, how to get lift every ball. So people can't hit the ball, right? It's why, part why the shift works. I mean, I think I could be wrong, but I imagine like Joe DiMaggio or Ted Williams would like punch those guys. Like, you want to give me that side of the field? I'm going to take it. Right? And they would and they would stop doing it. But now they've got so many guys who are dead pull hitters that they, they can't beat the shift. Even the metrics yeah. indicate that if you're in the bottom half of an extra inning with a runner on second and no outs and all you need is one run to score, the bunt is not a bad play. It's right. A sacrifice bunt for the better part of the game isn't the best play because you're really uh, giving up and out to get one run. But in the bottom of the inning, why aren't they doing it? Part of the reason they're not doing it is so few players can bunt. It right. seems to me like especially a left-handed pull hitter should take the time in spring training to learn how to bunt. Like, it, would it kill Rizzo to bunt a few down the third base line where there's right. nobody? all he has to do is keep it fair, and he'll be right. on first base? 
And I'm into all the modern metrics. When I was a teenager, we played Stratomatic. We knew Moneyball before the book was written. So I know about probability and all that. We just didn't have names for it. But I do know that in the 21st century, it's the same as the 20th century, modern metrics tell you it's better to be on first base than to be in the dugout after a strikeout. So you have to find that, that right balance and do everything within your power to prepare for the moment. And if it calls for you to be a situational hitter and drive the run in, which I see Judge doing. So Aaron Judge, the best all-around player in the Yankees and arguably in the league, is playing the game the way it's supposed to. I know others can too. And I'd like to see a Cabrera and the young players live up to the potential. Why has baseball become a passion for you? And how do you navigate through that passion, being a father and, and being an executive? Where do, where do you place it within your life to make it work for you? Well, base, I love baseball for so many reasons. I think baseball teaches you a lot of great lessons about life, right? The, Everybody strikes out. Everybody makes mistakes. We do better as a team. We do better when we think about common goals. As a father, I have three boys. We spend a lot of time at Yankee Stadium, a lot of time bonding about baseball. It's always something we can talk about. We've shared a lot of memories. You know, and I think baseball also teaches you about time, how, how long it takes to do things, how long it takes to do things right. The best thing about baseball is, you know, you can pick it up at any point. So when work gets really tough and I don't get to I, I dial out a little bit, it's okay. It's easy to dial back in. It's a long season. To me, baseball is still the, the best sport there is. Tell us about Mitchell White. So Mitchell White is my, my nephew. We watched him growing up in the Northern California, and we watched him as a little kid get bigger and better. Then he went to college. He got drafted number two on the second round by the Dodgers, recently traded to the Blue Jays. We've seen him pitch, um, I think, in person about five or six times now. At Cullingsworth, he is a great guy. He's a wonderful guy just as a person. He has the right temperament, I think, to be a pitcher, to forget about yesterday. Without getting anything away, you just realize how hard Major League Baseball is. You can make three mistakes in a game and lose badly. And these pitchers are these hitters are really, really good. And the jump from AAA to the Major Leagues is really important. And the other thing about how important the game is is how important fielding is. So we went from the Dodgers to the Jays, and the Dodgers are a much better fielding team, at least based on what I've seen so far. So there have been a couple of runs which are earned runs for Toronto, which would not be earned for the Dodgers. But Toronto's closer to New York, so hopefully we get to see them. We've in Toronto and New York and Boston, and that'll be fun. And the Toronto Blue Jays, as of the moment, would qualify for the postseason playoffs. And presuming he's on that roster, you could see him in some very uh, high-profile situations, including at Yankee Stadium. You saw him pitch against the Yankees a few weeks ago. What was that experience like? It's, it's odd. It's the first time I've been to Yankee Stadium, and I've rooted for the other team. So I, I hope that Mitch has a great season, and I hope that, that the Yankees have a better season. And how do you feel about the Yankees' chances? Do you feel that they're the best team in the American League, you know, the, the, the regular season aside? Do, can they, do, they have the, do they have everything at their disposal to make it to the end? Well, what baseball teaches you, until you're mathematically out of it, you're not out of it. And they clearly have a, a lot of smart, good players. There's nobody like Judge. Some of the veterans you mentioned, I think, can still step up. Uh, and we've seen them go through slumps before and come roaring back. I'm excited about some of these young kids. I've, I've, I've seen a few games in um, Somerset, New Jersey. Anthony Volpe looks great. The, the two kids they just called up looks great. I went to Hudson Valley and watched Jason Dominguez play. He's their future outfielder. He looks great. So, you know, it's, as Yogi once said, it's never over until it's over. Well, that's very promising because there's nothing more appealing than a team that's built from the inside out. And uh, you want to be uh, open to uh, hiring uh, the free agents to supplement the core 
but it's more attractive if the team is made up of a base of players who grew up through your own farm system than through uh, the, uh, the mercenary approach. And, and we'd like to see that happen with the Yankees. We'd like to see it happen in the future. But right now, as you say, we're focused in on the excitement of the moment. The Yankees are making it more exciting than we thought September would be. They're only uh, six games ahead of Tampa, and there are times in the past. I remember as a 12-year-old boy, the Philadelphia Phillies had a six-game lead with uh, 12 games left in the season. They blew the whole thing. And that same year, when I was 12 years old, the Yankees were six games back around this time, and they came back to win with Roger Maris and Mickey Mantle leading the way and Whitey Ford and a rookie pitcher named Mel Stoudemire. In preparation for all this, I revisited all the historic moments that I've read about and, and been oh. present at. And it is really, really exciting and a lot of fun. And it's a, it is a great escape. And uh, I think it's, a, it's, it's much like the theater. Do everything within your power to suspend disbelief. Yes, you want to know everything you possibly can about each player and, and how yeah. that creates theater of the moment. When baseball is played the way it's supposed to be played by champions in the state of urgency, like the postseason playoffs, it's it is riveting. There's nothing like it, and it's a, a lot of fun. What do you think about shifts and uh, any changes that baseball might put in for next year? Do you think they're necessary? Well, you know, I I, actually, I like baseball innovating. I think it's good to try new things. Um, you know, football does it all the time, uh, so I think it's worth experimenting. I think the game should be a little faster. Like, I think the idea of when we were kids, you didn't store out. You, the guy stood in the box and they pitched. Right. right. The idea of stepping on, stepping off, I think is just is just a waste. So. I would, I'm support getting rid of that. I like some of the technology with the catchers and the pitchers. I think that's all fine. And I think if they got rid of the shift, it would actually add some batting average to some some left-handers who are losing hits and might get back to the days of trying to get some more line drives and less, less home runs. So I support that too. Certainly need a timer. If you have a timer for the pitcher and the batter, that would yeah. move the game along. I'm not so sure about the shifts. I'd like to see the batters adjust to that. And I'd like to see the... Uh, Umpires behind the plate signaling balls and strikes, but a computer determining whether it's a ball or strike. You could do it all. What you would do is uh, essentially I'd like to see officiating in baseball take the same approach that they did to building stadiums. Make the stadium look like it's from the 1940s, but it has all the -the state-of-the-art 21st amenities to make it more comfortable for nowadays. And there are ways you could uh, use modern technology so seamlessly that the fans might not even know what was being used. It's, po- mm-hmm. it's all possible. But once again, if you just let yourself go and when you're passionately involved with one of the teams involved in a postseason playoff game, there's no feeling like it. Thank you, Neil, very, very much. You've been very gracious to join us. And we'll talk further about New York Yankees and the WNET group, my favorite team right now. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I'm Michael Mackey, and you've been with us for WLIW-FM in conversation on 88.3 FM across the East End and 96.9 FM in Central and Western Suffolk with the WNET Group President and CEO, Neil Shapiro. We've been talking about baseball and our national pastime's most successful team this past 100 years, the New York Yankees. And may the tradition continue this fall. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of WLIW-FM In Conversation, our special program that brings you dynamic voices from across our region and beyond. 